Well, good morning. My name is Nate. If we don't know each other, I would love to meet you at some point. But if you've got a Bible today, Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be, obviously. We just heard that read. Um, But um, uh, this summer, I'm excited. Uh, Next week, we're kicking off um, the summer at Highlands. And um, I'm just excited about that. Our goal this summer is pretty simple. We just want to pursue relationships with each other in the church and build community here. And so um, that's the reason we're uh, doing the two-service thing. That's just an experiment to see if we can get more people together because instead of us being so spread out in three services, if we can uh, create more opportunity to hang out and connect. So I'm excited about that. Nine o'clock, 1045 next week. Um, And so we hope that that helps build community, but the thing is, um, if we're going to build community, it's going to be because people are intentional about pursuing each other, and so um, it doesn't have to be a top-down thing, like in order for us to get to know people at at Highlands, you know, uh, they better organize some events or something. Um, We will do some of that this summer, but uh, you could also just look around and intentionally uh, ask people to grab coffee or lunch or whatever you're comfortable with, Um, and that would be a great way for us to do that. So that's the goal this summer, just to connect with people, build community, make friends. So I'm excited about that. Today, we're starting a new series called How to Think Like Jesus. And um, earlier this year, we looked at the mission of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And in this series, we're looking at the teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Um, Jesus was called rabbi or teacher throughout the Gospels. And as a teacher, he wanted to help change the way that people think about life. And in the Gospel of Luke, one of his primary strategies for how he wants to challenge people to think differently is through parables. A parable is just a short, simple story that teaches us how to think about God and ourselves and the world from a new perspective. And so um, today, the parable that we're looking at, I chose to start the series because in many ways, um, this parable kind of sets up the rest of the parables. So the plan today is just for us to look at this text and then we'll talk about uh, what it might mean for us. All right, so Luke chapter eight starting in verse four. We'll walk through it and then talk about it. The setting is in verse four. It says, a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town. And so he said this in a parable. And so this is a diverse audience that Jesus is listening to. Jesus is very popular at this point in the Uh, region of Israel. People are coming from everywhere to hear him and to be healed by him. So there's this big audience that assembles and he begins to speak and he chooses to speak in this parable. So here's what he says. Verse five, there's a sower who went out to sow some seed. So this person's just walking around, scattering seed, trying to plant some fruit. As he sowed, some of the seed fell along the path that he was walking on. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away, since it lacked moisture. 
So there's some rocky ground around, and some of the seed ends up there, and that's not going to produce fruit. Verse 6. I'm sorry, that was verse 6. Verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Verse 8. But still other seed fell on good ground. And when it grew up, it produced fruit. A hundred times what was sown. And as he said this, he called out, Hey, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Listen. And his disciples are like, what was, what was the point of that? They're like looking around at each other like that was, man, we got this huge crowd here and he's just telling this random story about a guy casting seed and he didn't even say anything else about it. What is the point of that? And so the disciples in verse nine go and ask him after the crowd has left, what does this parable mean? And this is an important question. Because if you don't know what it means, it doesn't do you any good. What does this parable mean? And the way that Jesus answers the question, first he explains why he's using parables in the first place. And then he'll go on to explain what it means. But here's why this is important. Um, just about a month ago, I was uh, hanging out with this guy who... He's a friend of mine and is not a Christian. He's not a follower of Jesus. And years ago, he was in a fraternity in college and there was this Bible study that he attended and they talked about this parable of Jesus. And he was bringing this up to me and he just said, you know, I've thought about that since and just thought, why did Jesus use parables? It seems counterproductive. If, if Jesus wants to, you know, try to influence a bunch of people, why not be more straightforward? It's just confusing. And Jesus is about to say that that's actually the point of the parable. The reason that Jesus speaks in parables is not just because sometimes stories help you understand a point. That's true. But one of the reasons that Jesus spoke in parables, he tells us in verse 10, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, he says to his, his followers, his disciples. But to the rest, it's in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, the fact that the parable is confusing is the point. Because see, you are here and you're asking to know more about what it means. The others are not here. And so even though they were looking at me, they didn't really see the point. And even though they heard me, they're not gonna understand. So Jesus is telling parables so that you lean in and go, what was the point of that? Jesus is telling parables to cause you to ask, how badly do you really want to understand Jesus? 
If you've got ears to hear, then listen. Those who think they're too smart, and oh man, Jesus is using the parables, and it's not going to work out, and this is boring, and this is confusing, and people with that attitude, you're not going to see, and you're not going to hear, really. But people who are willing to be humble and come to learn, you're going to see. So, hey, if you've got ears, listen. Listen. This means that being a follower of Jesus is an invitation to learn, to think deeply, to analyze, to ask questions, to live a thoughtful life. That's the invitation of Jesus. And now he's going to explain what the parable means. Verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So there's this guy who's going out and scattering seed, and the seed represents, it says, the word of God. What's the word of God? That's a phrase that we use at church. What does it mean? Even after Abby read the scripture, she said, this is the word of God. That's what we ask people to say after they read. What's the word of God? The word of God is the good news of Jesus presented in the Bible. The good news of Jesus presented in the Bible. Now, um, on Twitter, I follow, um, I intentionally follow a bunch of uh, people who think differently than me because it just helps me to see the world from different perspectives. And there's this uh, ongoing kind of uh, lots of Twitter threads being uh, written where basically the gist of what people are saying is this. I follow Jesus and his teachings, but not the Bible. I follow Jesus and his teachings, but not the Bible. Um, The Old Testament God is vicious and homophobic and regressive, And the Apostle Paul in the New Testament is a religious fanatic who hijacked the true essence of Jesus and what he came to do. And so I follow Jesus, but I don't follow the Bible, the Old Testament, or the the writings of Paul because he kind of ruined what Jesus was doing. Instead, we follow Jesus. Jesus was this really good, loving man who stood up to the oppressive forces to pursue liberation and freedom for all. And so that's who we follow. So the word of God is Jesus, not the Bible. And the problem with this way of thinking, I think, is that Jesus affirmed the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Jesus affirmed its authority, and Paul, who wrote the most of the New Testament after Jesus, was called by Jesus to do that, and the other apostles who followed Jesus affirmed what Paul said. And so you can't choose between Jesus and the Bible. The word of God refers to the good news about Jesus presented in the Bible. So you can't distinguish between them. You can't honestly and consistently follow Jesus without also following the Bible. So the Bible is the word of God and Jesus is the word of God and these are not in competition. 
The Bible is God's revelation about Jesus, and Jesus is the, re- is the revelation of God himself personified. This is why in John chapter 5, Jesus goes to, uh, he's talking to these Pharisees, and he says to them, you pour over the scriptures, talking about the Old Testament. You pour over them, you study them, because in them you think you have eternal life. But it's, it's they that testify about me. The Old Testament scriptures are actually about me. So you can't hold on to the Bible if you're going to reject me, Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. See, in Jesus' culture, there were people who wanted to hold on to the Bible but reject Jesus. In our culture, there are people who want to hold on to Jesus but reject the Bible. And neither one is possible because the Bible is good news about Jesus. They're not in competition. The word of God is the good news of Jesus presented in the Bible. So the question that you should ask yourself, though, is how could these random laws and weird, offensive stories in the Old Testament ultimately lead to a good, loving, saving message about Jesus? That's the question you should ask. And you will either explore that question or ignore that question. But let the one who has ears to hear listen. What are you going to do with the word of God? That's the point of the parable. The sower is going out and scattering seed. And it's going to land on four different types of ground. What type of ground are you? He who has ears to hear, listen. The first ground that it could land on is the path. Jesus says in verse 12, the seed along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now this is crazy and unfair to our culture, right? So right now, as someone is scattering the seed of God's word, talking about the Bible and Jesus and all that, Jesus is saying that there's this invisible evil person named the devil who's going to snatch the word away. That's crazy, right? And he's going to snatch the word away and then God is going to judge the person who doesn't listen, but the devil was the one doing something. Ooh. But if you want to think like Jesus, here's how you do it. You understand that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that means that there is a world in which you can't see. 
There's a spiritual world that exists simultaneously with this world that you cannot see. And in that world, there's an enemy. He's called the devil. And his mission is to destroy you because he hates you and he hates God. And his strategy to accomplish that mission is to deceive you, to make you believe lies, to cause you to doubt and dismiss God's word. And so when a person hears the word, the way that the devil snatches it from them is he causes them to doubt it and dismiss it and believe something else. And Jesus says, the result of that is they don't believe and they're not able to be saved. The seed doesn't take root because it's snatched away. If you want to think like Jesus, that's the way that Jesus understands the world. And someday, the devil will be condemned for that, for his act of deception. But so will those who follow him. So he who has ears to hear Listen. The second ground that this seed can land on is the rock. Verse 13, Jesus explains. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. So they receive it with joy initially, but then they fall away in a time of testing. This might look like a person who has an emotional response in a worship service. The pastor was up there and he was going, man, and he was on point and it felt good and you were starting to get into it, you know, and you're like, all right, yeah. And then all of a sudden it was like, all right, and now it's your turn. We're going to stand and we're going to sing this song. You're going to come up and let's do it. And you're like, all right, I can do that. Yeah. And you were like, you know, coming forward with joy. You're like Alicia thinking about the food. You're like, all right, snack time. Let's do this. You know, so you're coming up. But then you leave. A few weeks go by. And after a time of testing, it's, eh, it was just an emotional thing that you got into. Or this is the student who goes to camp. And man, at camp, you know, oh, praise the name. And we're all, you know, locking arms during the last set, you know, and it's, oh, hey, glory come down, you know. And then you come home. You go back to school. A time of literally testing happens and you fall away. So it's maybe 
The, the seed that falls on the rock is maybe the person who has an emotional response, who got caught up in the emotion. Or maybe it's just somebody who had a lighthearted response. That is, you know, you were a kid and your parents were followers of Jesus and they were teaching you these things and like you get to go to heaven or whatever and you're like, all right, cool, you know, that's great. And so you were a Christian, you know? And then you went to college and a time of testing came and there wasn't really a root. Or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, but then you start dating this girl and she's a follower of Jesus. And you're like, cool, all right, you know, I guess. So if I'm gonna be with you, we go to church? All right, yeah, I can, I can get on board with that. Sometimes the guy goes too long, you know, but for the most part, I mean, it's fine. Um, and, you know, I can get on board with that. And so for a time, you're like, yeah, all right, it's pretty good. I'm getting into this. And then you guys start to have problems. You're like, well, wait a minute. I, there's no root. So it could be an emotional response that causes this or a lighthearted response, but either way, the word didn't get down deep in the person's heart. And so after a time of testing, they fall away. And here's the reality of life, is there will be a time of testing. Life is hard, suffering is real, you will face trials. And when your circumstances change, or even your own behavior changes, the easy thing is to change what you believe. Because there's no root. But let the one who has ears to hear listen. The third option that the seed could fall on is the thorns. Jesus describes this in verse 14. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with the worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. This might look like stereotypical American Christianity rather than live with the mature fruit of unshakable joy and peace because you belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We live in fear and fighting over what's gonna happen in our political system. Rather than live with the mature fruit of unexplainable generosity, we accumulate wealth and live happy, safe, luxurious lives like the rest of the world. Rather than live with the mature fruit of unwavering patience, we hurry from thing to thing, irritable and discontent, constantly busy and distracted from what really matters. Rather than live with the mature fruit of unflinching gentleness, we are harsh and egotistical because we are so consumed with our reputations and our selves. 
in the world. And you cannot be consumed with the things of this world and also produce mature fruit from the Spirit. There's not enough room in your heart for all of it. This is why the thorns choke out the word. Literally, the word suffocates because there's the worries, the riches, and the pleasures of life. And these are not necessarily all bad things. These are just things that so consume you. But the things of God don't have room to grow. So let the one who has ears to hear listen. The fourth ground that this seed could land on, Jesus says, is just called good ground, fertile soil. He explains this in verse 15. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. An honest and good heart is somebody who's humble enough to hear the hard truths and then admit their faults. It's someone who is courageous enough to own up to their shortcomings and then correct how they're thinking and living. That takes courage. It takes an honorable, noble heart to do that. And this is someone who, that's how they receive the word. They humbly receive the word and they hold on to it. This little phrase, hold on to it, literally means to to hold something captive or to hold something hostage. Another place in the New Testament, it literally is used to talk about prisoners being held hostage. That's what it means to hold on to this word. And so you endure with patience. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, you're holding on to this word. And the result of this is fruit is produced in your life. What is fruit? I'm not asking literally, I'm asking metaphorically. I know, I know what fruit is. Fruit is not just good works. It's not just doing good stuff. Fruit is a life marked by satisfaction and maturity and centeredness. That's what it means to have fruit. In Galatians chapter five, the Apostle Paul is talking about how the Holy Spirit is the one who produces this fruit. And the way that the Holy Spirit works, he says in Galatians three, is by hearing with faith. Hearing with faith, which is exactly what Jesus is saying in this parable. And then Paul goes on in Galatians chapter five to say, here's what the fruit looks like. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Aren't these the kinds of qualities that the world is looking for? And here's the thing about these qualities. People who are marked by a life like this, there are people who, they're not just like good people, but they're like, you know, frantic and constantly dissatisfied and bothered by stuff and, no, people who are marked by this kind of fruit are people who are satisfied. There's a contentedness to them. They're people who are marked by maturity. They're they're people who are marked by this centeredness, this anchor, where it's like, man, no matter how hard things get, it's like they're just steady. That's the kind of person that you become when you humbly receive God's word. It's not somebody who's searching, they're satisfied. It's not somebody who's childish, it's mature. It's not somebody who's drifting and tossed to and fro. It's somebody who's anchored. So the point of the parable then is to take care how you listen Jesus goes on to say that in verse 18. Therefore, take care how you listen. In verse 21, he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. James, the brother of Jesus, summarizes this well in James chapter one. He says this, listen to this. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone who, looking at his own face in a mirror, he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. So take care how you listen. Here's how to think like Jesus. Real life is found by trusting and obeying what God says. You want to know how to think like Jesus. You want to know how to orient your mind and your way of thinking about the world around Jesus and his way of thinking, here it is. The baseline for Jesus and his understanding of how the world works is that real life, a life marked by satisfaction and maturity and centeredness and groundedness, real life is found by trusting and obeying what God says. That's it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that really living, 
Being full of joy and love and peace is determined by how you listen and apply God's word. Do you believe that? Here's what's so radical about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that the life you were made for, the life you really want, is in a seed that needs to be received. Here's why that is so radical. Because here is how we are tempted from our culture to think that real life is found. Rather than believing that real life is in a seed that needs to be planted in us, a seed that's outside of us that needs to be planted in us, instead we believe that real life is in a cave that needs to be explored. Or real life is on a mountain that needs to be climbed. Here's what I mean. Real life is in a cave that needs to be explored. The way that works is the only way to be really happy, the only way for you to really be satisfied with life, for you to become mature, for you to be centered and grounded, the only way for that to happen is for you to do a deep dive into your soul, to explore the, the, the cave, the depths of your soul, and determine who you really are. And then come back out having defined your identity for yourself and stick to that no matter what anybody else says. That's the belief that real life is found in a cave that needs to be explored. Or real life is found on a mountain that needs to be climbed. Here's how that works. The only way to be really happy, for you to be satisfied with life and mature and centered and grounded, is for you to work hard and accomplish something for yourself. Work hard to build a name or a savings or a career or a family. And no matter the obstacles, pursue and accomplish your dream. And when you get to the top of that mountain, you'll, ha you'll have real life. Jesus says, it's not in a cave that needs to be explored. It's not in a mountain that needs to be climbed. It's in a seed that needs to be received. Recently, um, I don't know why we were doing this, but Courtney and I... Um, watched the movie Ratatouille. Have you heard of that movie? It's a Pixar movie. Um, and the story of Ratatouille is the story that our culture believes you have to live by if you're going to experience real life. If you don't know the story, it's very basic and simple. There's a rat named Remy, and he wants to be a chef but he's not allowed to be a chef because he's a rat and society says that rats are not allowed to cook. <laughs> and so he determines to pursue his true identity as a chef regardless of what others say 
And in the end, thanks to a few open-minded friends, he finds true happiness and begins to create a better world. Because anyone can cook. And so that's the story of Ratatouille. And, and that's the story that our culture is inviting you to live by. That if you are really going to experience life, then do a deep dive into the cave and determine who, you're, you, who you really are. What's your identity? Come back out of the cave and regardless of what others say, stick to it. Pursue your dream no matter the cost. Climb the mountain and when you get to the top, you will be satisfied. You will finally be a person who's mature and grounded and centered. It's the story of Ratatouille. Jesus is inviting you to live by a different story. Jesus and the story that he wants you to embrace and live by goes like this. The reason that you are on this earth is because God made you. God made you in his image, in his likeness. And that means that the way for you to experience life on this earth is not for you to try and discover who you are apart from God, but instead it's to understand who God is and who he's made you to be. And God has put you on this earth, made uniquely in his image, to pursue his vision for the world. And his vision for the world will result in ultimate human flourishing where humans will literally get to dwell with him on the earth. But we have an enemy who has deceived us into thinking that rather than God being a good God who made us for a good purpose with a good vision, instead, God is the enemy. God is trying to force you into a straitjacket and keep you from being able to experience who you really are. And the only way to really be you is to throw off all of the other entanglements that God and, and the Bible is trying to force on you, to throw that off, to discover who you really are, pursue your dreams, and then you'll be happy. Then you'll be satisfied. And that's what we've believed. So we've rebelled against God and his vision for us, and we've pursued this other vision. We've tried to be wise in our own eyes. And we deserve to pay for that. Why? Because by doing so, we have contributed to the corruption and the dysfunction and the brokenness of the earth. We call that sin. We deserve to pay for that because that's the only way to fix the world is to deal with sin. And we're sinners. So we deserve to pay for our sin. We deserve to absorb God's wrath in hell. But God 
who is rich in mercy because of the great love that he has for us, sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus is the true human who perfectly lives up to being made in the image of God and who pursues God's vision for the world. Regardless of the obstacles tempting him to abandon God, he obeys, he listens, and he obeys God's word because he believes that real life is found by trusting and obeying what God says. And in order for him to to listen and obey, it leads him to the cross. He's obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he goes to the cross and he dies in the place of sinners. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us back to God. But he does not stay dead. Instead, he is raised from the dead in power and glory. And the same power that raised him from the dead Because he listened and obeyed God's word, he was highly exalted and given the name above every name. And the same power that he inherits by raising from the dead, he will use someday when he returns to transform the likeness of your humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. And so the invitation is to hear And believe. What story are you going to live by? Are you going to dive deep and explore the cave? Are you going to climb the mountain? Or are you going to receive the seed? He who has ears to hear. She who has ears to hear. Let them hear. Let them listen. Today, we are going to observe a practice that Christians have observed for years that is just a tangible reminder of this truth, that the only way to live is by receiving something. And so when you came in, hopefully you grabbed one of these packets of the Lord's Supper. If you would go ahead and start taking that out, we'll take it together in just a minute. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter four, it's written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And communion is a a reminder of that. The bread, if you can call it that, is a picture of Jesus' body. His body that was beaten and whipped and tortured for you. And the cup, the cup is a picture of his blood. His blood that was shed for you. And when we bring this bread to our mouths and bring this cup to our mouths, what we're doing is we're reminding our hearts 
that it's only by receiving Jesus that we can live. It's not by exploring the depths of our soul. It's not by climbing this mountain. It's, it's by receiving the word. It's by receiving Jesus. So would you take just a minute and examine yourself? Is there any sin in your life that you need to confess? Would you humbly receive the word this morning and confess it? The Apostle Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you stand and pray with me. Father, thank you for being a God who reveals yourself to us. God, would you give us ears to hear and listen? God, would, would our hearts be good ground? Would we humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls and as a result, would we be like light that is not hidden, but that is lifted up for all to see so that by bearing fruit, more and more people may come to see and know your love. It's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen.